You're listening to Give Me the Bible with Len. Today's topic is entitled Sailor. Hello my radio friends, welcome to the program today. The majority of what I have to share with you is a true Australian story about a dog. But there is an important spiritual application at the end. Now, this story was written by Larry Somerville and it's included in the book Top Dogs, compiled by Angela Good. Ben, a 75-year-old, was an honest man, a bachelor, a teetotaler, a non-smoker, a man of the bush who spent the last three years of his working life working on Burren Station near Wilcannia. Ben mostly kept to himself. His sole companion was an eight-year-old red kelpie named Sailor. Ben would describe himself as a good sheep man and was an expert with dogs. He acquired Sailor as a seven-week-old pup for five shillings, that's 50 cents, from a passing traveller. Ben carefully trained Sailor to manage sheep. The dog was a good worker and learnt his lessons well. At night, Sailor bedded down alongside Ben in the shearers' quarters. The two were great companions and Ben would chat away to Sailor for hours on end. Ben had a soft spot for Sailor, and wherever Ben went, Sailor would go too. Ben's boss regarded Ben and Sailor as good as three men. Whenever a job had to be done, these two could be relied upon. One day, Ben's boss casually remarked, the sheepdog trials are on at the showground next Saturday. Do you want me to enter you and Sailor when I'm in town today? Although Ben had a dislike of crowds, after a few moments' hesitation he replied, OK, we'll give it a go. During the week, Ben gave Sailor a good workout with the sheep whenever an opportunity arose. He talked to the dog constantly. The Wilcannia showground is huge, surrounded by a picket fence. When Ben arrived, the, the ground was crowded, as the sheepdog trials were a popular event and drew people from many miles away. Prize money for the winning dog and handler was £25 probably the modern equivalent of around $500. There were 12 dogs entered in the event, and Ben drew number 12, the last of the contestants. After this, Ben found a secluded shady spot on the outskirts of the park while they waited their turn. The rules of the sheepdog trials were such that each competitor started with 100 points and points would be deducted for mistakes or for going over time. 
At the commencement of each trial, the handler would stand at the opposite ends of the grounds to the dog, and by whistles and voice commands, the dog responding to those commands would be required to bring three sheep back to the handler as quickly as possible. From there, the dog was required to take the sheep through a drafting race. Then, 200 yards, and that's just under 200 metres, to a small bridge. Finally, it had to take the sheep another 200 yards to a pen, where, after all three sheep were inside, the handler would close the gate, thus concluding the trial. At 11am, the steward blew his whistle for the first contestant. The crowd was silent. The first three dogs scored between 80 and 90 points each. The fourth dog, a huge black and tan kelpie, was very good, scoring 95 points with only a few errors. Oh, that's a tough one to beat, Ben remarked to Sailor, who was sleeping in the shade next to his master. The day wore on. Two other dogs scored 91 and 92. The rest were in the 80s. The ninth competitor was Floss, a well-bred two-year-old border collie with good markings. Ben thought she would be difficult to, to beat. He had heard of the exploits of this dog at previous trials. At the first obstacle, the collie was faultless, putting the sheep through the race perfectly with a maximum score. Ben admired this dog. She was certainly a champion and had an air of confidence. He reminded Ben of Sailor of when he was at that age. The border collie scored 98 points eliciting a roar of approval from the crowd. Finally, contestant number 12 was summoned. You'll do your best, old boy, Ben whispered to Sailor as they walked to their places for the start. When Ben and Sailor arrived at the peg, a quietness settled on the ground in deference to their age. Sailor with his white whiskers and muzzle, and Ben, stooped over slightly, were in direct contrast to the collie and its handler. Sailor sat quietly at the start, till the three sheep were liberated at the other end of the ground. When they were standing steady, the judge signalled the timekeeper, and Ben was given the signal to begin. For about ten seconds, Ben hesitated so that Sailor could get the scent. Ben knew that this was going to be a tough challenge. Suddenly, there was a change in Sailor. He sat upright, listening with his ears back in an antenna fashion. Ben cast him out. Go away back, boy! Sailor was off like a flash. And Ben, because of the obstacles, used a shrill whistle to guide him.
It was a perfect pear-shaped cast, and he came up smartly behind the sheep, and on Ben's whistle, halted directly behind them. Sailor, as if by telepathy, delivered the sheep without fault, in a straight line down the centre of the field. He was precise and neat, handling the sheep quietly, and with assurance. Not for a second did he give them opportunity to be contrary. He indeed was the master of the situation, and Ben knew he'd gained maximum points for his effort. Ben's hands began to sweat, and though excited, he maintained a poker face. Ben then led the way round the fence with the three sheep behind him, and Sailor taking up the rear. On reaching the drafting race, Ben stepped into a car tire placed on the field for the handler, who had to stay there until the sheep were put through the race by the dog. Until then, Sailor had not made a mistake. But just as the last sheep was about to go through the race, it veered a fraction to the right. It was only for a second, but Ben knew they had lost vital points. From time to time, Sailor left the starting peg. Ben talked to him constantly, giving him encouragement and commands, and trying to keep one guess ahead of his dog. After the race, it was two hundred yards to the next obstacle, the bridge. Ben kept talking and encouraging the dog reassuringly. Again, he could not sailor's effort, and realised they had again gained maximum points. With the final obstacle of the pen, Ben praised sailor, "Good boy." Unknown to Ben, whose full concentration was on the dog, the crowd was completely silent, as everyone sensed the closeness of the scores. Go away, back. Go away, four. Go back. Sailor appeared to be like a puppet on a string. He obeyed every command perfectly. With the three sheep close by the pen. And sailor glued with his nose twitching in front of them, and with one paw raised as if to pounce, excitement reached its peak. Two sheep raced into the pen with a slight movement from sailor. Just one more to go. Suddenly, for no apparent reason, the remaining sheep ducked out of the edge of the wing. Sailor had him back and in the pen in almost an instant. But Ben knew he had lost another point. The crowd cheered, and everyone except Ben and Sailor seemed to go mad. When the score of ninety-seven was marked up on the chalkboard, a ripple again went around the crowd. Floss, the border collie, had won by one point. No one had ever dreamed that any other dog. Would come near Floss's score. However, Ben's experience told him the younger dog deserved to win, 
so he tried not to let Sailor sense his disappointment. Floss's owner, knowing how close the result had been, finally broke away from his friends and walked over to congratulate Ben on the fine performance Sailor had put up. He too recognised a good dog when he saw one. He was there some minutes with Ben, and when he returned to his friends he had a worried look and seemed to be at loss for words. One of his friends jokingly asked, What's the matter, Alf? Anyone would think you had lost. He didn't reply for some time. When he did, his voice shook. You saw that old Kelpie work those sheep so close, he replied. Do you know he's been blind for two years? I think we humans can learn many valuable lessons from animals. And we're going to have a break here and I'm going to share the rest with you straight afterwards. Precious Lord, linger near When my life is almost gone Hear my cry, hear my call Hold my hand, lest I fall Take my hand, precious Lord Lead me on Precious Lord, take my hand Lead me on, let me stand I am tired, I am weak, I am worn Through the storm, through the night Lead me on to the light Take my hand, precious Lord, lead me Just before the break, I said to you that we human beings can learn many valuable lessons from animals. And such was the case with Sailor, who obeyed Ben's commands, and as a result, there was a positive outcome. You know, God has given his law, the Ten Commandments, 
not to make life difficult for us, but for our own benefit, that we can live peaceful, happy lives. And here's what the Lord said about the matter in Jeremiah 7.23. Listen and obey my voice, and I will be your God and you shall be my people, and you will walk in all the way which I command you, so that it may be well with you. Did you notice the outcome of obeying God? It is for people's own benefit, that is, that it may be well with them. The Ten Commandments are like a manual for living good, happy lives. So it is if you buy a new car. The car is supplied with an owner's manual, In there you may read things like this. Do not shift from drive to reverse while the vehicle is moving. Why? Well, the answer is that such a practice will damage the transmission. Or you might read, Remember to fasten your seatbelts. Why? Well, it's for your own benefit, your safety. And God's manual for living is also for our well-being. So why do parents give instructions or commands to their children? Well, it's to guide them for their own benefit, so they will become responsible, happy citizens. So what motive lies behind those instructions? The answer is that it's love. God did not give his instructions simply to be bossy and make life difficult for us, He gave them out of a motive of love. And I find it preposterous that some churches teach that God's law, meaning the Ten Commandments, was abolished at the cross. The two sections of Scripture used to attempt to show the law was abolished at the cross are firstly Colossians 2.14, which says, "...blotting out the handwriting of ordinances which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. What was abolished were the rules and regulations, that is, the ceremonial law, regarding animal sacrifices for the forgiveness of sin. Those practices were no longer needed, as Christ was the ultimate sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins. You know that. You know you don't need to kill a lamb and apply its blood to an altar to be forgiven. You ask for forgiveness in Christ's name. The second scripture used to attempt to get rid of the Ten Commandments is found in Romans 6.14, which says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. When we are forgiven of our sins, it is as if we have never sinned. Our slate is wiped clean. But what happens if you sin again? Well, the answer is that you come under the penalty of the law again. When one lives a life of obeying the law, the law cannot condemn. If you drive within the speed limit, can you be fined for breaking the law? No, of course not because you do not incur the wrath of the law because you haven't broken it. 
Does that mean that if you drive within the speed limit, the law has been abolished? No, it's rubbish. Not at all. The law is still there, whether you like it or not. The Apostle Paul acknowledged the existence and veracity of the law in Romans 7.12 where he said, Wherefore, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and just and good. It was never thrown out at Calvary. You know, it's recognised that when society departs from the principles laid out in the Ten Commandments, it begins to crumble. And according to the Pew Research Centre, the current trend in Western society is towards secularism. Church attendance is declining and the acceptance of humanism is increasing. And I strongly believe this modern trend away from belief in God has come about by the widespread teaching and acceptance of the evolution theory. Evolution gets rid of God. It teaches that human beings are the results of various improbable chances taking place over improbably long periods of time. God, the Creator, is dispensed with. But do you realise that if you get rid of God, there is no accountability to a higher being? And if there's no accountability, then there's no reason to respect others or their property. Is it any wonder that we see the values of society collapsing around us? These days, it's almost as if everyone wants to do what they want without taking God or others into account. Do you think I've overstated the current situation? Well, just ask the police about local crime. I had a motorcycle stolen, but the thieves left behind some very clear fingerprints. The police were unwilling to come around and check the fingerprints because, as they told me, they were too busy on more important cases. Just ask the child protection agencies. They are so busy, they are unable to cope with the amount of crime committed against children. Secularism is the first step towards social breakdown. I asked earlier why parents give commands for their children. The answer was because they love their children. The next question is, why would a child want to obey those commands? The child obeys its parent because he or she realises the command is given for their own good. It is given out of love. The child obeys in response to that love. As Christians, that should be our response. Here's what Jesus said about the matter in John fourteen fifteen. He said, If you love me, keep my commandments. Obedience is the proof of love. Yes, I hear some Christians speak about love, love, love. But it makes me very cynical about their love 
when it's quite obvious that some of those same people pick and choose which commandments they will obey. That's not love for God. It's love for self. The Apostle John gives the final word on love in 2 John 1, 6, where he says, And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in his love. Walking, which really means living, in God's love is a walk or a life of obedience. Well, what about if I choose to obey only some of God's commands? Well, the answer is found in James 2.10. It says, Whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. No, you can't pick and choose what to obey. It's all or nothing. If Sailor chose to obey only some of Ben's commands, the outcome in the sheepdog trials would have been complete disaster. But Ben loved Sailor, and Sailor loved Ben, and that made all the difference. How about you? Do you say you love the Lord? Well, the acid test is that if you really love him, you will obey him.